Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. What follows is the service from April 2nd, 2023. Thank you and God bless. Oh! 
be reading today from Psalm 118, verses 1 through 2 and 19 through 29. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the reminder this morning that you are good and that we belong to you. We have witnessed the brokenness of our world so acutely this week. And we have watched tragedy unfold in our city. We come before you today with broken hearts. We cling to your promise to be near the brokenhearted. We come to you today as people who are grieving and we cling to your promise to comfort those who mourn. We feel tired and angry. We cling to your promise to make all things new. We long for the day when you wipe every tear from our eyes. Until then, Lord, do not let us despair. But as St. Francis says, make us instruments of your peace. Please be with all those who are sick. Please be with Melissa and Paul as they recover from surgery. Please be with each of our missionaries. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And help us to place our trust and hope in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. 
however you are feeling, it's okay. And this is the right place to be, the right group of people to be with. If you're angry, it's okay. We have reason to be angry. If you're tired, if you're like, I don't know how much more of this I can take or be exposed to, or if you're just like, I just gotta move on because I just can't take it in. I'm glad that you're here. This is the place for us to be. And in the midst of all this, it's Palm Sunday. It's the start of Holy Week, which many celebrate in the Christian world. As I woke up this morning and was having my morning coffee, I pulled up the live feed from Jerusalem. And then walking through the streets, dancing and waving palm branches. And dare we believe this morning that there is a king coming, a prince of peace that is worthy of celebration. This morning we're going to read uh, the Palm Sunday reading. And kids, I need to go ahead and tell you, because you're looking at me like, he hasn't said the magic words yet. Yes, the egg hunt is today. Okay, and it's confusing in Ackland lore because the egg hunt and Palm Sunday are together. It doesn't make sense, but so many things don't make sense in our church, right? But uh, the egg hunt will be today. But we're going to do the Palm Sunday reading. And then we're going to talk about Zachariah and donkeys for a little bit. And then Chris is going to come up for our, our weekly interview uh, as we close out the sermon time this morning. So if you would, grab a bulletin and stand with me. The reading, Palm Sunday, other times known as the triumphal entry. This is the Matthew account. If you'd like to join with me in the bold section, feel free. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them. He will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And this is the Zechariah reading that we began our service with. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, a bull of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And we know from the Gospel of John that those were palm branches. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted together, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So much beautiful imagery in this familiar reading this morning. The palm branches, a universal symbol of peace. We have other records from this time period, specifically some very poignant accounts of when the Maccabees, 200 years before this, had experienced military victories. And you think of the Maccabees with the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, okay? when they got liberation from the Syrians, but after they would win big battles, they'd come back into the city, everybody'd wave palm branches. Because the peace 
had been won. Peace had been established. That's the, that's the image here. Hosanna is a word that means please deliver us. And I love that the word please is part of that. It's like this yearning, please, please deliver us. Sometimes thought of as please save us. They're crying out for that as Jesus comes. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, that has come to bring that peace that we all long for. And yet one of the great tragedies, and there are many, of Holy Week, is how quickly it unravels. As we talk about so often, how did the shouts go from Hosanna to crucify him so quickly? And why does the city turn so quickly on the Prince of Peace? Over the last year, I've been blessed to become good friends with Rabbi Saul Strasberg, who's the rabbi at Sheriff Israel, which is an Orthodox Jewish synagogue on the West End. I've gone to his synagogue several times, and he's come and spoken to my students at Lipscomb. And uh, he'll come and just do a Q&A. And he's, he's great because he's, he's very warm and kind. And he's like, you can ask me anything. Even if you're fearful, it's offensive. Just ask me. We'll talk about it, you know. And normally students kind of start with some softballs. And then finally you'll have a student that say, says, why don't you think Jesus is the Messiah? And he paused and he said, I want you to know that I mean this response with total respect. He said, the reason I don't believe Jesus is the Messiah is because we believe the Messiah will bring peace. And it does not appear to us that Jesus has brought peace. And I found that response, and I've heard him say it more than once, I found that response the most beautiful and tragic thing I've ever heard. There's a part of my heart that wanted to be, and I didn't say this out loud, but inside there was a part of me thinking, don't talk about my Jesus that way. <laughs> but then I realized it's not an indictment on Jesus. It's an indictment on me. It's an indictment on us. It's an indictment on his people. And that is the question of this morning and the question of this week and the Christian answer is, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, why do we so often choose not to live in peace? And briefly, for about five minutes here, I want to take you through a deep dive into the prophet Zechariah before I interview Chris. So uh, if you'll turn to page 774 of your pew Bible, page 774, I'd like to get into this reading a bit. This was, for some reason, this became kind of a haven for me, just going through Zechariah over and over again this week. Some of this may sound a little uh, academic, but I think it will get us to a point that is helpful. Zechariah was one of the post-exile prophets, so after they returned from Babylonian captivity. A contemporary of his would have been Haggai. Uh, later, he would have rubbed elbows with Ezra and Nehemiah. This is when they're trying to rebuild, right, after the Babylonians have come. Zechariah's name means Yahweh remembers. I love that. Yahweh remembers. Every time people saw him, they were like, you know what? 
Yahweh remembers his promises. And there are many promises. Okay, so Cyrus, king of Persia, lets some of the exiles go back and start to rebuild Jerusalem. This is in 538. This is about 600 years or so before Jesus. And uh, they go back in 538 and they start to rebuild the city. And they get really discouraged. And some of that is because of opposition from the Samaritans. Just another thorn in the ongoing Jew-Samaritan relationship. Okay. There's tension with the Samaritans and they, they stop in 536. And so the city just lays there and they're kind of living in this kind of post-apocalyptic Mad Max looking city. Okay. And then in 520... Haggai and Zechariah begin to prophesy, we've got to get going again on this city. Haggai would have been an old man who most believe had seen the original. Zechariah was a young man at this time. And so the first eight chapters of Zechariah are Zechariah's visions and prophecies about, we've got to rebuild the temple. And then in 516, just a few years later, they dedicate the temple. In 516. And this was wonderfully 70 years after the destruction to fulfill what the prophet Jeremiah had said about 70 years. Now, Zechariah is a prophet for much longer, and most believe that chapters 9 through 14 happened much later, around 480. This would have been the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Okay? Um, and these prophecies come about the future Messiah. So page 774, go to chapter 9, and then go to verse 9. This is 9-9, nine, nine, where it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so we have this donkey metaphor. Now, it's not the first time in the Bible that a king rides on a donkey. Okay? Late in David's life, when David's on his deathbed, Bathsheba comes to him and says, You promised my son would be king, and you have not done it yet. Okay? And he's like, I know, you're right, my bad. In the Hebrew, that's what he says, my bad. Okay? And uh, <clears throat> he says, Go get Solomon and put him on a donkey, and we will make him king. So there's a familiar image that when kings come to be anointed, they come on a donkey. And the best we can make of this is this. When a king comes for war, they ride a horse. When a king comes in peace, they ride a donkey. And there's a difference. If Jesus comes on a horse, that means we're about to fight. If Jesus comes on a donkey, that's because it's peaceful. There's also this sense of they're anointed on a donkey or they go to their anointing on a donkey with a sense of humility. You are the king under God. You're not the main person. You're the king under God. But also this sense of you come in on a donkey. Let's stay on a donkey as much as possible. <laughs> like, like let's be peaceful people is also the sense here. Now, one of the things, though, that happens, and it's so hard to interpret some of this because some of this is just random images that goes out of order. But there is a rejection prophesied of the king, of the shepherd, the shepherd king. And so in chapter 10, go to the end of verse 2. This is page 775. Chapter 10, go to the end of verse 2. 
where it says, therefore the people wander like sheep, oppressed for lack of a shepherd. And this reminds us of what Jesus says in Matthew 9, 36, where it says, he has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Going on, it says, my anger burns against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders. There seems to be a rejection of the Messiah and other leaders that seek to subvert the Messiah's ways. And yet, look at verse 4. The prophet reminds us, from Judah will come the cornerstone. The Messiah will come from Judah, and there will be a Messiah that outlasts these other leaders. And these other leaders are very wicked and oppress the people. Go to verse 11. I'm sorry, chapter 11, the next page, 776. Go to chapter 11. If you go to verse 13, chapter 11, 13, you have very mysterious references to the potter and 30 pieces of silver. And every time we hear 30 pieces of silver, we're like, whoa, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The Lord said to me, he threw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. This is complicated. There's more that can be said here. But I want you to know this because later on when Jesus is portrayed with 30 pieces of silver, it's yet another Zechariah reference. Everything about what's going on with Jesus, they would have called back to Zechariah and other prophets. Go on to chapter 12 and verse 10. Chapter 12 and verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn. This is linked to this image of suffering servant that we have from Isaiah. We've talked about that before. So there is a shepherd king that comes. Other people subvert him in order to oppress the people. He's betrayed and ultimately pierced. And people mourn. People mourn when this Messiah is pierced. And then on to chapter 13. This is page 777. Chapter 13, look at verse 7 and look at the end of verse 7. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. This is a quotation from multiple Gospels, specifically Matthew 26, 31, when Jesus foreshadows his, his persecution and his crucifixion at the Last Supper. He says, you will scatter. You will not stay with me. And, the, and Peter's sitting there going, I'll never betray you. I'll always stay with you. But we see in the Garden of Eden, when they struck the shepherd, everyone scattered. What's being prophesied here is that a Messiah will come a prince of peace will come and we will not listen to him. And the reason my dear friend Rabbi Saul does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah is not because of Jesus, but because of our response to Jesus, the rejected Messiah. There's more to that for sure. But let me pause here and go ahead and invite up Chris. And we'll come back to Zechariah in just a minute. Chris, if you want to come on up.
Chris was really gracious to be in the interview this week. He had agreed to it, and with the events of this week, I, I gave him an out. He said, no, it's all that's been on my mind. I'm, I'm willing to do it. So I uh, had four questions, Chris, for you this morning. It's been a heavy week in the city, and we're in the midst of a heavy spiritual season of Lent as we long for Easter. How do you find yourself longing for Easter? Yeah, it has been a, can you hear me? Good. It has been a heavy week. Um, like you said, he asked me if I wanted to do it. My first instinct was, I don't know, it's kind of stressful. Mm -hmm. Everybody's done so great the last couple months, and I don't want to keep that streak. I want to keep going. Um, a couple hours later, the events at Covenant did happen, and, you know, it has been all I was thinking about. And then I was wondering, am I the best person to be up here talking about this after everything that's going on? Um, as I gave it more thought, my, my perspective changed a little bit because, you know, that doesn't really change anything in terms of what my answer should be. Um, it, it maybe changes the things I'm gonna say now, but uh, the world's always been a broken place. Um, as we've seen um, in our lifetimes and going back through history. Um, I'm going to answer your question in a minute. <laughs> a little detour first, because um, I have thought about a lot of this um, over the years. Um, the the age-old question, where is God in the chaos? Uh, where is God in the suffering? Chris, put your mic closer. Sorry. I've thought a lot about this over the years with... with um, wonder where God is and all the suffering of the world. Um, after these, this may sound a little bit political, and I'm sorry. Yeah, I know you're not hearing about politics. It's good. Real quick, that's all I'm going to say about it. After things like this happen, the debate gets ugly. On social media, um, on the Sunday morning talk shows, you, you've all heard the phrase, thoughts and prayers. Right, so a politician will get on and they'll say thoughts and prayers. Uh, but then they'll say, but I'm not gonna do anything about it. We, we can't do anything about it. Um, it's, a, it's a mental health problem, you know. Where that's beyond what I can do, or it, it's a spiritual problem. This week, I've given my thoughts and prayers. I've thought about it a lot. Um, we've prayed about it um, with our family. Um, but, Saying that, sometimes just saying it kind of tritely is an insult to the victims, and it's not really good theology. Um, and it's not because it's, that stuff's not true. It is, we have mental health. Mental health problems is a major issue in society. Um, we do have spiritual problems, that's for sure. But this isn't, we didn't just start having spiritual problems in the last 20 years. We, the, the world's always had spiritual problems. It's, it's always been broken. That hasn't changed. So to kind of pivot back to the answer, when I read in the New Testament about the, the time that Jesus was born, Israel was not going through a great time. They, they, were, they had spiritual problems. It was a broken world, just like we're living in now. But the people who followed Jesus from the beginning, or they, they got on it later. When he was crucified, it must have been a time of just intense anxiety for them. 
we don't think about that that often. Um, we see Peter denying Jesus three times, so obviously he was anxious about it. But if Jesus did not, was not resurrected, everything that they had given their lives to the last uh, couple of years was for nothing. Not only that, they were exposed. They saw Jesus himself get executed. They were going to be exposed. People recognized Peter. People recognized other people that were around them. So I imagine when they, in the empty tomb a couple days later, they, um, the weight of the world must have felt like it went off their shoulders. Everything that they had believed was true. So when we see this, when we see the, the brokenness of the world, um, through all the different things, um, tornadoes and, and mass shootings and, and just uh, the, the deaths of children, everything that we see that, that weighs on us, um, I would like to think that when I read this, that I could feel the same way. It's definitely not easy, though, um, living 2,000 years later in a completely different kind of society where we don't have the, the same worries that they did. Thank you, Chris. That's, a, that's an honest reflection, an important reflection. That's what it means to be community, too, that we come together and we honestly reflect and share on it. Okay, here's the trick one, but I prepared you for this. So we're in the midst of this, ugh, like just a ugh type of situation. And we're in the season of Lent where we've been talking about fasting. Where does fasting show up in all this? And what's, what's God, how's God trying to prepare us? What's God trying to tell us? Like, where does fasting connect with all of what you said? So I, uh, I had confessed to you um, when you talked to me on Monday that I really haven't fasted this season. <laughs> and <laughs> my excuse was really lame when I thought about it. It, it was really lame. Um, what was your excuse? My excuse was, I've been really busy um, with family, vacation, which is really bad. Uh, Brandon, you know, Brandon's all his soccer. He's in like it's two Brandon's different soccer fault. teams. Yeah. He's, he's on two different soccer teams, so we're always trying to figure that out, leaving work early and all that. Um, so that, that's a really lame excuse. I have fasted in the past, though. Um, it has something I have participated in um, during Lent. In other times, um, some of the things that I, you know, some of the things that I've tried to give up because it's uh, it's a weakness of mine. I eat too much sugary stuff, um, sh uh, candy, donuts, obviously when you go downstairs, soda. So I've tried to give that kind of thing up in the past. It's not easy. Um, that's the whole point of fasting is it's not easy. But it helps me when I'm thinking about it, when I wake up in the morning and I have a craving for something that I'm focusing on something, uh, focusing on doing something because of a purpose. So um, it's not meant to be easy, but it's supposed to help train your mind to, um, to become better, um, to, to understand uh, the Word of God more. Um, and this is a great time to do it as we're running up to Easter. Thank you. Chris, one of the questions we ask every year is, why did the crowds turn so quickly on Jesus? Within a matter of days, we go from Hosanna to crucify him. Why do you think the week changed so quickly and to such a degree? Well, the short, easy answer is it was 
prophesied and preordained. <laughs> but um, obviously, that's, uh, there's more to it. Um, yeah, verses 1 through 11, he came in, he came into the city and, uh, amidst great celebration. Um, they were happy to see him. Um, it turned from there, I think, because he started getting real with the people. He started speaking truth, especially with the religious leaders. Um, that was the, the downfall of the prophets. That was the downfall of John the Baptist. And that became the downfall of Jesus when he, when he spoke to them that way. Um, he, he spoke in parables that basically compared, basically turned them less than the people that they were always talking about, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. Um, and his, they, they, they were smart enough to figure out that he was talking about them. He was below them, he was beneath them, that they needed God more than the, the sinners in their society. So um, that's where it all started. He, um, once he started talking about them, they turned on him. So how can we, in the midst of a world that is groaning, in the midst of a world that is struggling, in the midst of a world that has so much heartache, and then we say, it's Palm Sunday. You know, many churches are waving palm branches. I'm thinking about those folks in Jerusalem jumping up and down with palm branches. What's it going to take for us? Don't even worry about the world right now. Us, this group of people, how can we live into the peace of Jesus? That's a hard question. Um, I go back to the first question that you asked. Um, living 2,000 years later is, is difficult. Um, we've seen throughout all of human history all the things that have happened. Um, I, I still can't wrap my mind around the Holocaust and where was God in that. Um, we have we have we have seen so many tragic things, and, and right here in our own society. So. Um, 2,000 years ago, probably one of three children died in infancy. They, they, they had diseases that, um, that we can't even imagine. Leprosy, um, smallpox. We don't worry about things like that anymore. We have a very wealthy society. Um, we haven't witnessed the things that they witnessed in the New Testament. Which it gives a it puts a layer on top of everything that 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 we have, which makes it more challenging. Um, to get off topic again, I'm sorry. <laughs> I read this semi-obscure semi novel years ago. It's kind of like a futuristic dystopian crime thriller. the The actual character himself had gone through a lot, had seen a lot, and he posits that the human brain is a flaw of evolution. Right, so, it actually, when I think about it, if, if you were an atheist, it kind of makes sense. Uh, the character posits that the brain became too advanced. And as it became too advanced, it led to a separation between uh, humanity and um, the natural world. Uh, because of inherent selfishness of, of humankind. So an imbalance has ensued, um, you know, via the way that we treat other people and the way that we treat the environment. Um, as people of faith, obviously, we don't see things that way. Uh, we believe that we're created in the image of God, and uh, we, we are endowed with free will. But there has definitely been uh, an imbalance that we've created, regardless. So um, I think 
we, we just need to, to, to continue to read the scriptures and to pray and to try to have faith and to try to see things the way that early Christians saw it, uh, that the follower, followers of Jesus saw it, and try to put ourselves in, in place so we, the empty tomb, is, um, is an important part of our lives all the time. Um, so when tragedy happens, we know that one day it will be made pure again, it will be made whole again. And that, that is coming, um, as, as your rabbi friend said, peace is not here. Um, but peace is going to come, uh, and we've seen it. I mean, he, we, we believe that, that he rose from the dead, so he conquered death, and he promised he's going to come back. And as hard as that is, and I don't do a very good job of it, to, to lean into it and to, and to try to, to get outside of ourselves and all the little petty things that we're involved in and all the, the major things that we witness that, that, weigh, that weigh on us. Well, Chris, this was a tough week for the interview. I appreciate you being reflective and honest and putting time into it. So as Chris returns to his seat, I want to direct your attention to the last chapter of Zechariah. When it starts off in the opening verses, and it says that there is coming a day of the Lord. This is a day of the Lord is coming. And in that day of the Lord, all will stream to the temple. And then it starts to describe the temple, and it is an otherworldly temple. There's rivers coming out of the temple, and they're like, whoa, all these waters. This reminds me of the Garden of Eden. This reminds me of the end of Revelation. And the answer is yes, it's all that together. That God is making all things new through this temple that ultimately comes from the Messiah enduring the suffering and coming out victorious on the other side. What we learn in the New Testament is the temple is us. We are the temple. Through the Holy Spirit, we are the temple. And as Jesus builds the temple, that peace will come. As Ruth said in her prayer this morning when she prayed, that we would be instruments of peace. You know, if the music had been in like 20 seconds from now, it would have been perfect, Linda. Like 20 more seconds when the music goes off, and we should have fountains and smoke and stuff. But there is this sense that we become the temple, and God works through us to bring peace. Why did peace not come? Because people like the idea of a Messiah, but not the actual Messiah. And so every day, may we crucify what we think Jesus should be, but instead, follow the Jesus that actually is. And follow the shepherd that even though he is struck, will endure to the end. Let us stand together and sing. The Lord, my shepherd,
the firstborn was killed. And that's what they were celebrating was that Passover. And Jesus became that blood of the lamb. And growing up, what was he thinking about during that Passover feast? When he brought all of his disciples together in that upper room, he gave all of us one purpose for this celebration. He said, remember me. We do this just to remember Jesus every week. And that's a good thing. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our one and only Savior. Bless this bread that we eat in remembrance of the body that suffered and came to life again. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. pray with me. Father in heaven, bless this cup 
and represents Jesus' blood and the forgiveness of sins that we receive all of the time. And just be with us as we remember him, his life, his death, and his resurrection. In his name we pray. Amen. Six hundred forty three. Six four three.
verse, chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. And I'm going to read from the Amplified, just because I thought it was a little clearer in the beginning. Um, Have this same attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or asserted, but emptied himself by assuming the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. After he was found in outward appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess and openly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, God, that you sent your Son to us, that he became one with us and walked with us, and that he was willing to not just die, but, but have the terrible death of dying on a cross. And we thank you that by doing that, he left his name, he left behind his word, he left behind the power that he gave us to understand himself and his father. And we thank you for caring for us and for bringing us peace in Jesus' name. And now, I'm the bulletin, I'm the, the announcements. So, hi church. <laughs> Brad's not here. Um, today we have birthdays. Judah Nichols is one, and unfortunately he's tired and not happy, so he's back in the cry room. Um, this week, uh, both I and Hank Deloney have birthdays on Tuesday, and I don't think, is Hank here today? I don't think so. Okay. Well, when you see him next week, tell him happy birthday. And we have two anniversaries. Clay and Marianne Copeland have their second anniversary tomorrow, which was my parents' anniversary. And on the 7th, Matt and Sarah Perkins have 22 years. And for those of you who were here last week, it was awesome that William was baptized. The water was a little brisk, um, but he, he, he manned up and, and it was all okay. Today is the Ackland egg hunt. And there are a lot of eggs. So for all you kids that are the right age for the egg hunt, you are going to have a lot of fun. Um, today is a small group Sunday. If you're part of a, of a, of a um, small group, middle school meets at the Scobies. And this Friday, there will be a special service at 7 p.m. at the service for Good Friday. And, oh, interesting. And I, I had somehow missed this on the bulletin. Okay. We had a former pastor who died away, died away, died at 90 in Florida. He preached in the mid-60s here and was an elder in the 70s. And in work camp, applications are due today. This week's fasting is food. Um, they're encouraging good, good Friday day of fasting. So there, oh, I'm sorry, and JP? We have about 
don't think we missed this. We have about 20 folks that went to Dollywood this weekend, about 15 high schoolers and five chaperones. I just thought that's fun location. They're at Bucky's right now. So in Crossville, so you can see them that. So they're on their way back. Awesome. Coffee and donuts. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash org. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.